0: Hi there, this is Pastor Aaron of Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church and we pray that through the preaching of God's word that you were encouraged and pointed to Christ, our glorious Savior. If you have any questions or comments, uh, you can find us at www.fairviewcornerstone.com and uh, please write to us. We'd love to uh, hear any questions or comments. We pray the Lord encourage you through this sermon. We are going to be back in Luke chapter 5, and uh, we're going to finish what we started last week looking at this, uh, not a miracle that's recorded, not a miraculous sign, but some words that Jesus spoke in in chapter 5 regarding some of the Jewish uh, customs and religious practices of his day. And so I'll invite you to turn to uh, Luke chapter 5, and we'll just pick up in verse 33, even though there will be a little bit of overlap from last week, but I'll invite you to please stand with me as we read together from, from the Word of God. Luke chapter 5, verse 33. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does... The new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help now as we look at this passage. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for carrying us through another week, Lord, and we marvel that we often are traveling and busy, and uh, uh, Lord, just that you continue to care for us and that you watch over us and bring us back again together. And so we give you thanks, Lord, for your, your gracious hand of care and provision. Um, Lord, we thank you for a building to be in this morning that's warm and, and out of the weather. Lord, we pray that as we look at your word, and, and Lord, as we Uh, struggle to often focus our minds that you would enable us by your spirit to love you, Lord, with all of our heart, soul, and our minds, even in these moments as we think about your word and we ask that your spirit would give us understanding uh, to what Jesus is saying, Lord, not only in the context of the first century, Lord, but uh, even here in the 21st century for us, Lord, that it would enable us to, to honor you to better live out our Christian faith and to glorify you. And so we ask this now in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. You may see that So the new has come. And obviously appropriate as we think about even the first advent of Christ in the Christmas season, we're remembering his first coming and uh, what that means for the people of God, what that meant for the Jewish world in which he came, the society and the culture and the religion. Uh, all that that, that entailed, um, we have the benefit of of now looking back on two thousand years of church history, we have the the New Testament that would follow these statements of Christ and we have the benefit of of seeing how this plays out, um, but you could imagine for these men and women standing there listening to Jesus on an on ordinary uh, possibly Sabbath or uh, just a day, they, they would have no doubt been struck by the, the strange words that he spoke many times. And I think this passage, this parable, would have been one of those moments when they would have looked at each other and uh, maybe scratched their heads and, and been like, What in the world is this man talking about? Uh, old cloth and new cloth, old wineskins and new wine. What in the world is he talking about? And uh, so this morning, I, I pray that we can, uh, by looking at not just Luke, but a little bit of the larger context of the New Testament, see the way in which Christ has brought newness. How is it that Jesus has brought this new cloth, if you will, this new wine, if you will? What is Jesus referring to, and, um, and how do we see that play itself out in the New Testament? So that's what I hope we can accomplish this morning, and... Uh, And also see some of the implications for us today as we seek to live out our Christian faith and to um, rejoice in what Christ has accomplished for us. So just to remind you, uh, this is uh, in the context of Jesus having called Levi the tax collector, the despised tax collector, and Jesus having gone to his house and fellowshiped with these sinners um, these outcasts and then being asked by the Pharisees why he's eating with such people. Why is he, why is he associating with those who would be, even by the world standards at that time, uh, scoundrels and crooks? And they, they also then ask Jesus another question that we see in verse 33 about his lack of appreciation for the Jewish customs of fasting and the way in which they would offer their prayers. Jesus seemed to pay no regard for these long-standing traditions of the Jewish people. And we mentioned last week, too, it's important to understand here that Jesus is not breaking a law that God had given to the Jews. The only required day of fasting for a Jewish man was on the Day of Atonement. So it's not that Jesus is breaking the law of God, but rather what he is doing is showing disregard for the customs of man, for the laws that man has established um, and and the customs that he has established. established. Now, there's nothing wrong with Maybe you, you know, I had a friend in Bible school who would try to fast once a week, and uh, there's nothing wrong with establishing patterns in your life or disciplines, but if that becomes something that we impose onto others, that we set up as a means of our righteousness before God, then it becomes a problem, and we see that is the case with these men, that they had not only established this for themselves, but they had put this yoke on all those around them. Even the disciples of John seemed to be caught up in this religious activity of the day. And Jesus, we saw last week, rebuked them um, because what they were doing is essentially wearing funeral clothes to a wedding. They were mourning at a celebration. They could not perceive that the bridegroom was in their midst, and actually the time for feasting and celebration was upon them, but they couldn't even see it. And Jesus tells them it, it would be the same thing if you had a wedding. And when the party begins, you then tell the people they actually can't eat at the buffet. They have to fast. That is the same that these men had been doing. But then Jesus goes to these illustrations, this parable, and uh, parable not in the same sense that we think of maybe the prodigal son or the parable of the, uh, the sower sowing the seed. It's not so much a story but an illustration, um, an analogy. Jesus gives this almost poetic um, illustration, this poetic explanation as to why um, uh, the, their, their behavior is inappropriate and also illustrating his own coming. And so we'll just look at the first two and then We'll we'll, uh, talk a little bit about the third um, illustration in verse 39, but the first two is is pretty obvious, I think, even for us who probably maybe don't do a lot of sewing can pretty much understand what Jesus is saying here in the illustration of the old garment because even, even I know that if you have a new pair of jeans or a new shirt and after washing that shirt or that pair of jeans a few times, chances are it's going to shrink a little bit. It's going to change sizes a little bit. So, you know, I usually just get pants way too big and I just wear, a, you know, a belt and then they're good for 15, 20 years, right? But uh, once in a while, you do buy pants that actually fit and then they shrink and then, you, got, you know, useless pants. So we understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying you, you understand that, that in the physical world, it's foolish to... Take a, a pair of worn-out pants and then try to patch them with brand new material because they will shrink at different rates and what you will have is a, just a further damaged piece of clothing and you will waste the new garment. So we, I think we understand that. Even the, I think even a child could probably see the illustration. The second one regarding the wine... Um, probably not as common to us because nobody stores wine in animal skins anymore that I know of. I mean, maybe in other parts of the world still perhaps, but uh, generally this isn't seen today. We have plastic and uh, glass or whatever else they use to store. Um, but you probably still understand what Jesus is saying, that, that when, they, when they were making new wine, they were crushing these grapes and they would have the skin of maybe a goat or a sheep and they could actually sew that into a type of canteen, a type of a water jug. And when that new, newly uh, pressed wine goes into there, uh, it is unfermented. It would be something similar to maybe grape juice. It would have been rather sweet. Um, it would have not been, had not started the fermenting process. And so they put it into the fresh wine skins, these skins that are still somewhat flexible, have a little bit of stretch to them, and as the fermenting process would happen, um, there would need to be room for expansion, because it is, uh, in a sense, there's a a reaction going on, and there's oxygen being released, and and gases, and and so there needs to be room, right, for this to expand. And Jesus is saying, you guys know that if, if you make new wine, you go to all the work of harvesting the grapes, and crushing them, and bottling them, you're not going to use Old wine skins because there'll be no room for those skins to expand and they'll just break and spoil the wine so the picture is is pretty clear uh, what Jesus is saying he's simply saying that uh, you cannot mix old and new that they are not compatible there are things that are not compatible that cannot be mixed together and if you try to mix them together you are left with nothing in the end. So that's the illustration. And we need to be careful with these illustrations because you've probably heard these ones specifically and, and others taken out terribly out of context. Even today we're hearing these kinds of verses used for maybe someone wanting to redefine marriage, somebody wanting to say, you know what, I think God is okay with homosexuality. I think it's not that big a deal. Uh, Just think about, you know, the the wineskins. We can't put put new wine into old wineskins, and so this is a new thing that's happening. We have to get rid of the old traditional customs of marriage and the understanding of, of what it means to be man and woman. That is passing away. What we need is this new... Uh, understanding that is being ushered in, and they might point you to an uh, illustration like this, or we could say even some of the shifts in many denominations with with uh, change in, in uh, the roles that God has established as men and women, and uh, many saying that it's you know that women can st- function the exact same in the home and in the church as as men, and and we need you know this is new wine, and we can't put it in these old traditional wine skins, and people will use these uh, very Poetic, beautiful illustrations, but make them say things that Jesus is not saying. So I want us to be very careful of that. Um, Don't let someone tell you Jesus is is here uh, giving us a license to redefine marriage or redefine, um, you know, what it means to be a child of God or what it means to be walking in the Spirit. None of none of those things match the rest of the New Testament. So when we're understanding something like this, that is somewhat uh, potentially difficult, because Jesus doesn't expand here, what you need to make sure you do is to check it with the rest of Scripture. Um, As many of the old teachers would say, that the, the Scripture is the best interpretation of Scripture. So other teachers and commentaries and books can be helpful, but the best thing you can do is to check it with Scripture itself and see if that is is, uh, in unity with the rest of God's Word. And so that's what I want to do as we think about, if if we don't want to abuse what Jesus is saying, we don't want to twist it and use it as a license to change something as foundational as marriage or what it means to be a man or a woman um, according to God, then how do we go about understanding what Jesus is talking about? First of all, I, I believe Jesus is making a reference here to his coming, replacing and doing away with the religions of man, the traditions, the customs, the efforts of man to save himself, to deliver himself from his condemnation. Jesus is making a statement that he has come and he's going to do away with the traditions and the customs of man, uh, the efforts that we would put out to, to deliver ourselves. And the reason I say that is because in the in the context of what's happening here, that's what Jesus is, is addressing. Um, he's not talking about um, a change even in covenants at this point necessarily. In the context, he's addressing the Pharisees' false use of their authority and establishing laws and customs um, and placing that yoke upon people. And I think Jesus is saying, I have come and all of your efforts to, uh, to um, make yourself righteous with God, all of that is useless. And if you try to mix what I am bringing with what you have done, uh, it, will, it will be nothing. There will just be broken wineskins. And so it's this, it's this exposing of a false, religious, man-made, self-righteous um, type of, of faith and Jesus declaring that he alone um, is to be the object of our worship. He alone is the, going to be the one to establish the uh, new covenant that is going to come. We see even in the, the following passage, um, just you can just scan it real quick. Even after this, this illustration that Jesus gives, he goes on to as far as they understand, redefine or um, clarify the Sabbath and what the Sabbath is for, what the Sabbath um, was given for. And he makes the statement in chapter 6, verse 5, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So there again, Jesus is going to address false understandings of what it means to be a follower of God and an abuse of, of law, of tradition, of religious practice in this early church. Jesus is declaring that these customs and religious efforts are passing away. Um, This is affirmed all throughout the New Testament. And in fact, these very Pharisees who have established these customs and these things somewhat rooted in the old covenant with Moses... So there is some validity to what they're doing but they had taken it beyond where God had instructed them. But um, if you turn just for a moment to Acts because we see this illustrated very powerfully as we see this contrast of the old and the new of what Jesus has brought and what these men are trying desperately to hold on to. In Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Uh, the Jerusalem Council is, is Acts 15, what has happened is Pentecost has come, the Spirit of God has been poured out upon His people, beginning with the Jews... But then, through an apostle such as Peter, God begins to show him through visions, like you remember, kids, remember where the, the, Peter's on the rooftop, and the, the blanket comes down from heaven, and it's filled with all kinds of animals, you guys remember that story? And God tells him to rise up and eat, and Peter's like, no way, I'm not eating that, it's unclean. And God tells him, don't you say that something is unclean, which I have made. And he is preparing Peter to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to those who are not Jewish, And Peter goes with Cornelius, he presents the gospel, and he witnesses the Spirit of God come upon them in the same way. And so this begins to create a lot of problems in the early church because you have these who begin to be called Judaizers, the party of the circumcision, demanding that these rituals, these customs be placed upon the Gentiles. And so they have this great meeting in Jerusalem, and the apostles are discussing what they should do with this gentile conversion so listen just for a moment here um, what unfolds says but some men came down from judea and were teaching the brothers unless you are circumcised according to the custom of moses you cannot be saved and after paul and barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them paul and barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. For he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And you see this great plan of God unfolding to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to the nations, that it is not just a Jewish salvation, it is going to be for all the nations. And understandably, the Jews feel like, well, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, if someone's going to become a, a part of the people of God... They had to become a Jew. You had to be circumcised. You had to go through the ceremonial washings. You had to offer sacrifices. There were certain things that had to be done to become part of that people. But we see as Jesus brings himself as the sacrifice, as he establishes himself as our great high priest, that that system begins passing away and he is declaring, you cannot go back and mix that covenant, those things that were to point to me. You can't mix them because you will destroy the gospel. And the apostles stood firm on that ground, thanks be to God, or we would be most confused of all people. Um, They stood firm and said, no, we will not place that yoke on them. We will not try to place this wine in the old wineskins. And so Christ, uh, early on here, is declaring the change that is going to happen and this isn't just with, with, uh, with Judaism. The, the, the mixing of Christianity, the mixing of Christ, the mixing of his finished work on the cross, it, it cannot happen with any other religion. We must stand firm on this as Christians, especially in our day. Those that want to declare that Christ is one of many or that we are somewhat compatible with the Mormon faith or the, with the Muslim faith or the Jehovah's Witness faith or, or another religious faith, we must declare no. If we try to mix them, we lose the gospel and we will be standing before Christ without clothes, with broken wineskins because we have actually in trying to blend them, destroyed both. And so as Christians today, um, we are no doubt going to face the question um, in increasing ways, will you acknowledge the other means of salvation, the other paths to heaven? Will you as Christians acknowledge the right of other uh, sources of truth? And we must say, no, even if it costs us our life, because in mixing them, both are destroyed. And that's what Jesus is already beginning to warn the people about. Uh, probably no, none more than Paul addressed this issue in the early church. He said things like in Philippians 3, 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. And that, I think, is the essence of what man-made religion is. It is a confidence in the flesh, in some form or another. there There is some inclination, some even subtle way that man is trying to use his own strength, his own means to get right with God, to be reconciled to God. We, we talked about the history of the Reformation and uh, the, the, the work of God in restoring the gospel. That's really what they were addressing, isn't it? That, that the, the, the Roman Catholic Church had begun to increasingly put confidence in the flesh, in the in the uh, penance, in the offerings, in the prayers, in all of these religious activities that men were supposed to do. And they were telling the people that if you will do these things, God will be pleased. And Jesus says, no, you cannot mix the efforts of man and the salvation of God. It is by Christ alone. That we stand. It is by His righteousness alone. It is by His work alone that we are redeemed, and we cannot mix them. And um, and so we, this has been a, a constant struggle throughout church history: the mingling of our own effort and the with the with the free uh, grace of God. Paul even warned the Galatians, and I think we can relate to this warning as well. Not only in the Initial coming to Christ through the gospel, but as we as Christians have believed upon Christ and we're seeking to be sanctified, we're wanting to be more Christ like, we're wanting to honor him as a church, uh, there is this temptation to begin to return back to works of the law. And Paul told the Galatians in Galatians 3 Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this: Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And as Christians, we're often, I find myself guilty at times of thinking that there are certain things that if I do them, if I'm consistent in them, then that will somehow make God a little more happy with me, a little more favorable towards my prayers, but that is a returning back to the flesh. It is only in Christ that we stand. It is only by his righteousness that we have any access to the Father. And uh, I was listening to um, a podcast this past week, and they were talking about the priesthood of the believer, which is a beautiful uh, reality to this new covenant. But they made the statement that that, uh, struck me. He said, but we must never think that we are our own priest. And uh, and I was like, what does he mean by that? And as they explained it, what he was saying was, yes, there's the priesthood of the believer where we who are filled with the Spirit have access to God, but we must never think that it is an access independent from Christ. He is our high priest, and we are, in that sense, lesser priests, and it is only still through Christ that we pray, that we have access to the Father, that we experience the grace of God, and we must fight this temptation to make it about our works. Um, one other example of, of how this might be playing out itself out today, um, I, I think that there, I was talking to my brother-in-law, Michael, um, yesterday a little bit about this, because he was asking me some questions, and and around this time of year, there's, there's a lot of, and it's a good thing that we want to help. We want to, maybe someone that you know needs a meal, or someone doesn't have a lot of money for a Christmas dinner, or for some presents for the kids, and you want to help out, and you want to give them something, and you know, even we think about the stories like the um, Charles Dickens, you know, where, where Scrooge uh, experiences the spirit of Christmas and becomes more generous and all of that. And we must be so careful that we do not forget the only hope this world has is the gospel. It's the gospel. It is the message of Christ who came, who was crucified, who rose on the third day, and everything that we do must be enabling us to speak the gospel, and so if we pack a shoebox, or if we give a meal, or if we give some money, we are asking God, give me ways to also communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ as I give, and and I think James would tell us, you know, we better be giving. We better be there helping the hungry. We better be there ministering to the prisoners, we better be there helping the orphans, but it is in the name of Christ, and it is the gospel that will transform, and so let us not think, well, we can somehow make this a better world if everyone just loves a little more, if everyone just gives a little more, if everyone just, you know, thinks happy thoughts, that everything is going to get better. No, it's not. It is only through the gospel, and we must not forget that. And it is an offensive gospel, which also adds to the temptation to bypass it, to just jump right over to the, you know, the acts of service, and let's not talk about Jesus because I don't want to offend anybody. Uh, No, we must not do that. So, I know I said a lot in there, but uh, I think that's one sense that Christ is, is referring to, this removing of man's tradition, removing of man's efforts, his confidence in the flesh, and that it cannot be mingled with the new covenant with the gospel um, secondly and this one is harder because um, it is talking about a a institution that god himself established it is talking about laws that god himself gave but i think that jesus would also be referring To the shifting from the old covenant, the Mosaic Code, which we've already talked about a little bit and seen the Apostles' words on, but that transition from the old covenant to the new, from the Mosaic Code to the new covenant established by Christ in his blood. And Jesus is already warning these Pharisees that this framework that you see that God has established, that you are right to observe. It is all going to be taken down because the substance has come. The reality is here, and so the framework must come down. I uh, imagine most of you at one point or another have worked with concrete, and as you know with concrete, you need a form. You need something to pour the concrete into because it comes in a liquid form, and then as, it's, as it sits, it becomes hard, and, and which makes it such an amazing uh, product in construction. But you could imagine a a contractor laboring for days and days on building the forms for his foundation, for his home, and uh, it's not exactly fun work. I don't know many people that enjoy forming concrete. You're often in the mud and dirt and you're often, you know, sometimes below ground and it's heavy, hard work and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's nothing that you're going to really enjoy later. No one comes by a house and says, oh, wow, look at the concrete under there, you know, that is some beautiful work those guys did. It's like, who cares about the, the foundation as far as the aesthetics, right? But you can imagine a contractor going to all that work and all that money and then the concrete truck comes in and he's ready to start pouring, and the guy's like, you know what, I, I actually, I, I really like my forms. I, I worked hard on these. I'm just going to skip the concrete. Don't worry about that. You guys go back. You know, I, I don't want that bill. And uh, I'm just going to build my house on my forms, and I think it's just going to be fine. Um, well, you know exactly what would happen he would maybe get the first floor on and maybe a few walls on or something, and as those trusses come down and they start sheeting this thing, everything starts crumpling, everything starts caving in because there's actually no foundation. All they have are the forms that were designed to hold the concrete. And I think in the same way as God establishes the Mosaic Code, as we watch redemptive history unfolding from Genesis to Malachi, uh, there is this structure being prepared. There are these forms that are being set up. But as Christ comes, he is the substance. He is the one upon which everything must be built. But sadly, these Pharisees don't realize it. They don't realize that they are talking to the substance that they were laboring to prepare for. And they say, you know what? I actually really like the, the, the forms. I like the scaffolding, and we're just going to keep that. And that's exactly what happens. And Jesus is telling them, listen, I'm here. I am the substance of the law, of the prophets. I am the one they have all been pointing to. And all of this scaffolding now is coming down, piece by piece. It must come down. It is in the way. And as Jesus starts tearing the boards off, you can imagine the, the outcry. No, my father put that there. My grandfather built that. My, my great aunt donated that. You know, And it's like, you can't touch that, Jesus. And he says, no, it must all come down. And he takes it down, and we know even as dramatically as in 70 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem and that glorious, once glorious temple is destroyed. And this old system passes away for the new, for the substance, which is Christ. And uh, we experience the greater new covenant in Christ. And um, just one more, there's so many passages we could go to, but go to just for a moment... Uh, to Second Corinthians again, because Paul, Paul, I think, does a, a wonderful job of helping us understand the the beauty and the glory of the Old Covenant, because we don't want to say that Christ came uh, as though he was in opposition to the Old Covenant, or as, th- as if he was in opposition to God's law. That's not the case, but rather Christ is the, the, the one to which it was all pointing, um, it's not even the case to think that God was trying to build something in the old covenant and then he realized it's not working and he brought in the smashing, you know, the, the, the wrecking ball and, and smashed it all down and, and went back to the drawing board. That's not what happened either. Rather, it was a preparation for Christ. And Paul in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, I think, shows us this so clearly. In 2 Corinthians 3, he says. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you know, uh, sorry, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written... And here he begins to make these contrasts of the Old and the New Covenant, written not with ink, but with the, with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And um, then he goes on, "...such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant." not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now listen to what he says as he continues contrasting the old and the new, showing the, he shows the usefulness of the old, but the supremacy of the new. He says, now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which it was being brought to an end, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? If there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. In this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. And so Paul, I think, rightly understands, uh, obviously rightly understands, he's writing scripture, but um, that the old was designed by God to prepare us for the new. But once the new has come, the old passes away and gives way for the new. And Jesus is telling these men and us that we cannot mix them. They are incompatible. And we should not try to then return back to a system of works. Um, which is why I've even talked with uh, friends who, who, even on this issue of the Sabbath, why are we here on a Sunday morning, not a Saturday? It is because we are celebrating the newness that Christ ushered in in his coming. And upon rising on the first day, he is inaugurating a, a new day of celebration a new day Uh, and and we 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 recognize the the work of god in creation and yet we also understand that we are not to return back to this uh forms this structure that was to point us to christ and so then i think this is essentially what jesus does with his last comment to them uh, he says, And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. This, this quite possibly is something like the phrase we say, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Um, Jesus is just pointing out that because they have become so accustomed to this system, they will not even try. They will not even consider the message that Christ has brought. And in this case, to their detriment. Um, some say that possibly in, in this time period, the new wine was somewhat desired over the old, which is the, the opposite now. I mean, I don't honestly drink wine, but apparently the longer it ferments, the better it is. I mean, there's something with the, the process there. Um, but possibly in this culture, it was the newer wine that they, they preferred, and, uh, and which would change their understanding of this too. Um, but it's, it's a little it's, it's hard to say you know. Uh, their new wine maybe would have been sweeter something like our, our grape juice that hadn't fermented and uh, maybe Jesus is even employing a little bit of sarcasm and they're saying well of course we desire the new but he's pointing out to them that actually they're, they're acting foolishly in holding on to the old when the new has come and is being offered to them so for us today um what are you holding on to? What are you building upon? Your own effort, your own ability to make money, your, your family name. What, what are you looking to as a source of your confidence come judgment day or even any favor with God? Can you say like Paul in Philippians 3, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that i may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible i may obtain the resurrection of the dead and if you're here and you've not placed your faith in christ then i plead with you let go of those dried up wineskins cast them aside and receive christ Ask him to make you new, to make your heart that is, that is naturally hard and resistant, to make it soft and ready to receive the word of the gospel. And I pray that you would follow in baptism and, uh, and, and an act of obedience to Christ. Let us pray now and we will have a closing song. Lord God in heaven, we thank you that you have purpose to include us into your great plan of salvation. Lord, knowing our own weaknesses in our own oftentimes ungrateful hearts father that we even at times with arrogance against israel lord as as though we have some claim over them father that we are the unnatural branch you have grafted in and would you help us to be humble and to be grateful and lord would we boldly take the message of this new wine to the nations lord the the wonderful news of christ and his great sacrifice for us. We pray this now, in Jesus' name. Well, thank you for tuning in today to this sermon uh, preached at Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church. And again, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at church at fairviewcornerstone.com. God bless.